I am playing the not at the track. You know, the hot pass racing network puts you at no. the track with ARCA and all the major NASCAR series. From Daytona to the final checkered flag, the Hot Pass Racing Network is your inside pass. Okay, we are now joined by Julie Stefanik, uh, the wife of Hall of Famer Mike Stefanik. Julie, can you just uh, put into your own words what tonight meant to you and, and what it was like being up there uh, in front of all those people honoring your, your late husband? It was very nerve-wracking, a little scary for me, but um, and overwhelming, but um, exhilarating. I was very honored, and I know Michael would have been very humbled about this award, and I, I feel like he was with us tonight. Excellent. Well, you did a great job. Thank you. If you have any questions for Julie, please raise your hand. Uh, we have a mic in the front here again. Um, just walk up to the mic and ask a question. Any questions for Julie Stefanik, please? We'll start with Steve. Oh, good. Oh, thank you. First off, Julie, congratulations. Thank you. Um, it's thrilled to have you here tonight to accept this honor on behalf of your husband. It was widely reported in the news media that uh, Dale Jr. Um, was instrumental in encouraging NASCAR to um, open up the Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, for a uh, inductee that had previously passed. Um, had, did you speak with Dale about that? And if so, would you be willing to share some of the conversation? I did not speak with Dale um, when I was told that I wasn't going to, that, you know, um, Michael wasn't going to have anyone speak on his behalf. I had already written a speech. I worked like a month on it, and I decided to just share it on social media and uh, kind of took off from there. He said that if I couldn't speak, I still wanted people to know what was in my heart. And um, Dale tweeted it, and it kind of went viral, and then there was a, a petition set up, and um, like 3,400 people signed this petition, and I had a hashtag, let Julie speak. And uh, I just wanted people to know what was in my heart and what Michael meant to us. And it was... That, happened, that was on Friday, and then on Monday I got told that I would be able to speak. And um, I shortened my speech a bit because everybody had already read it, but um, people wanted, I guess, to hear to hear me say it. But thank you. Oh, sorry. Could you just describe your involvement Well, we were married almost 35 years, and I think he raced 38 years. And, um, I mean, I was a spotter for most of his career. Uh, sometimes I would score. Uh, I would be a scorer and a spotter. Uh, we were a team. Um, if you saw one of us, you saw the others. We were always together at the racetrack. And it's like I know some ways aren't as involved, but, but we, were, we were a team. And I enjoyed that. And we never fought about anything. It's, it's like I, he was a clean racer. Um, I think only once I told him that I was embarrassed about his racing. I was like, I think you hit everything out there tonight. But um, normally, I mean, we would share on the way home, you know, what happened at the races. And, um, yeah, we, we, had, a great, we had a great relationship. And 
both sides. I love spotting for them. It, I think it calms my nerves some because I was doing something and I had to concentrate and I didn't have to worry about what was going on on the race, you know, worry about him because I had a job. Any other questions for Julie? I do. Yeah, Jerry. It was good. Um, no extra stress. No. no, I think that was that was a part of our relationship, and I enjoyed doing it, and um, he enjoyed listening to me. I guess. I mean, I would know, like, I knew what he wanted to hear, and one time, uh, actually, Greg Zipadelli and Mike Grichy had brought me in the trailer, and they said, "You need to pump him up. You need to, you know, like." Um, be a cheerleader, and it's like I knew that wasn't what he wanted. So we were at a race; it was a bush race at um, Stafford Springs, and something had broken in the rear end. And um, uh, so I started being the cheerleader as they wanted me to be. And I'm like, "Keep digging, keep digging." <laughs> he got on the radio, and he's like, "The shovel's broke." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and then um, afterwards, we, after the race, Greg and, and uh, yeah, Greg Zipidelli and Mike Ricci, they laughed. Ha ha, you got hollered at. <laughs> you told me to do this. But I knew what he wanted to hear. And it was just, I was a set of eyes to, to help him. You know, I looked ahead of, the, you know, uh, ahead of him and tried to keep him out of harm's way. And that, would, that kept, I don't know, that was just something that kept me calm. Zach? It was wild. Um, just to, to win the first two was incredible, and then to do it again the next year, to win four championships in two years in two different, you know, totally different. We had open wheel and, you know, full fendered cars, and just to be, have races on the same weekend, and there's no way he could be in two places at the same time, but we would get a rain out, and that would allow him to be able to go to the other track, and like the Bush Series, uh, the Bush North Series was the premier, because they had the sponsors, so the modified people, they always had the cars prepared, they were always at the track, and they didn't know if Michael was going to be there, and I mean, there was helicopters, there was airplanes, there was, uh, it, it, it was incredible, and it's just, I don't know that that ever could happen again. Just um, the skies, are, you know, uh, the heavens just made it happen. Thanks. Okay, Julie, I think that's... Uh, okay, we are joined by our final Hall of Fame inductee, and that is Dale Earnhardt, Jr. Dale, maybe just open up with uh, some comments. Um, you've talked about how much you were looking forward to this night. How did this? How was this night for you? Was it everything you had hoped for? It was better uh, than I imagined. I thought that uh, I was so nervous. I had such severe anxiety this mid-afternoon about my speech. And um, uh, but I'll be honest with you. When Amy was up on stage, and I love you know, I, 
everything that I do whenever I'm going to do something that's going to make me nervous is if I can have her there, it really takes the edge off. And so I didn't think about it, but once I got up there, I'm like, oh, man, I feel awesome because Amy's here. You know, she's standing right there, and it put me right at ease. And so uh, I wanted to be able to go up there and deliver a speech and feel comfortable enough to be myself and not get so nervous that I just sounded like a robot up there. And um, so I was happy how it all went, and uh, it was great to it was great to listen to the other speeches, and um, the whole ceremony was really enjoyable. I thought the Hall of Fame did an excellent job, and um, it's just a fun night. You know, I've been to these before; they're enjoyable. I, you know, I love the history, so I could sit there and listen to these guys talk all night long, and listen to learn. You know, you're learning about the sport, and so that was a uh, that was a great experience, and then I got to get up there and, and give some people uh, some credit that had been part of my career. It was nice to be able to shine a light on some folks tonight. Great. Thank you, Dale. If you have a question for Dale, raise your hand. You just shout from your your seat. Um, Jordan, did you raise your hand? Yeah. You know, I think it's funny you mentioned Richard. Richard Petty, when I was a young boy, I heard it said time and time again that Richard Petty sets the standard for how you interact with the fans and how you treat the fans. Richard Petty was at the racetrack till dark signing autographs. Richard Petty was at the racetrack till the last person come through the line hours after the race was over with and the place would be empty. You heard those stories time and time again, and, and – um, you know that was that was the example you followed, and so uh, you know I, I think a little bit of that was kind of the uh, a small part of that, but also um, you know I, I was very uh, I feel like that um, trying to come out of from under my dad's shadow, I was really honest and transparent. Um, from the very early part of my career, trying to tell people, you know, who I was, that I was nothing like Dad, and uh, that trying to say, hey, this is who I am. You know, this is what I like. These are the things that interest me. And I think being that way, um, a lot of people felt a connection and, and being able to relate, you know, ha having been so honest, you know, and just put myself out there way before social media uh, was a thing. Um, that went a long way, you know, and, and these, these, these people that come to racetrack and cheer for you or that were there tonight, they feel like they know you, and they feel like that they, you, they grew up with you. And, um, and so I think it's, uh, you know, I encourage other drivers and, and other, other guys in our sport and our industry to, to be that way, you know, to really share themselves, share as much as their, of their lives as they're comfortable with, uh, to help people understand them and know who they are uh, the ups the downs the emotional stuff the, all the things that make you human right mm. well that's absolutely the case when I was struggling um, and I mentioned that in my speech I was I thought that Every race I lost, somebody was in the grandstands pulling my shirt off and putting somebody else's on. And uh, 
I feared that, you know, and I failed. Uh, I, one of my things that bothers me the most is letting anybody down. And I put my fans through some tough situations. And they would have to go to work and hear it from the other fans. You know, I heard about the stories. I had to go to work and listen to this guy go on and on about the other driver that won the race. And so I know they 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 grind through that experience, you know, and they're loyal. And uh and I can uh, I can relate to that, you know. I've been a a fan of Washington, the football team since 82. And you know, like any sports team, they have their lows and their their highs, but you stick with them, you know. You I saw something on the internet the other day, a man a, a boy chooses his favorite team and then spends the rest of his life letting that make him miserable. And that's true. But uh, And so I, I know that the fans, they want you to win every week, but you're only going to win a few times. And those other races, they gotta, they got to, you know, they got to deal with either that disappointment or that what could have been. And, and so I always thought about that when I was, when I was racing. Um, and I mentioned, I mentioned it with, Claire B. on Sirius, when social media became a part of our lives, I was able to really live all that right at my fingertips. You know, you could win a race and be on the Internet in, in seconds and really talking straight directly to fans about exactly what you just did and what happened. And you you would share that elation with them. We never had that opportunity before, right, other than the people at the racetrack. But you could get on the phone and be celebrating what just happened moments ago with hundreds or thousands of people. Uh, that were all equally as excited and thrilled thrilled about what you did. And then when you'd run bad, the first place you'd go to was the Internet or social media because the fans would be there to pick you up. I mean, literally, after the race is over with, you're going to get them next week. That's a great track next weekend. And I'm like, man, you guys are smarter than I am. I wish I could feel that way, right? And and you'd take those words and and... And turn yourself around emotionally, you know. Uh, you take a loss home and spend days stewing over it. But, it, man, you get on Twitter and it turn you right around and, you know, get you right back up on the saddle and ready to go because you knew had, you had people behind you. Bob and then Jerry. Um, man, there's not one, Bob. I mean, there's a few. Um, I just was so happy to be able to, you know, the fireside chat with Kyle was great. I was able to share some, I've told Mike Hilton and, and, uh, Rick, all the things that I feel about them. I've told them that before, uh, but it's fun to tell them. How you feel? It's fun to tell somebody you love them, and it's fun to tell somebody that they matter to you, and then share a story. So that was really cool. And um, then when I was up on stage, I felt comfortable enough to actually look these people in the eye while I was talking about them, especially Tony Senior. Um, you know, I don't, I don't. For a long time there, I spent day after day with that man in the racing in the Xfinity series and in the cup, the cup series with the Bud car. 
And um, one of my biggest regrets, and I've said this before, one of my biggest regrets in my professional career was thinking that making a change in uh, uh, in his position as a crew chief was what we needed to do. And me supporting that decision is, is without question, my biggest regret in my racing career because I was uh, not only coming off a successful year in 2004, but I just I needed – I needed his leadership, and so did the team. And uh, so I was. it was so nice to be able to look him in the eye and tell him that I think about him every day and that the decisions that I make in my life are influenced by him and that um, that he matters, you know, at least to me. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that I got to share that with him, right? You know, because we don't see each other, and we're never going to sit down and, and take the time to really have that conversation and, I feel like in tonight's setting, in front of all those people, I was able to drive the point home. <laughs> Jerry? It was 2008, uh, going to drive for Rick and, and meeting Amy. Those two things coincidentally kind of happened around the same time in my life. And I, you know, being around Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, watching them prepare, watching the teams prepare, listening to the expectations of each other individually. I mean, I really, I thought I was a race car driver until I went there. And I learned, man, I really am not applying all of the all of the resources that are available to me. And um, it really was an eye-opening experience to work in such a such a place with so much success, and uh, to really see how they how they make that success happen. So that was pretty pretty incredible. And then right at that same time, I met Amy and. Uh, you know, I've been a work in progress in the, in the, in in that in that regard. And fortunate for me, Amy's stuck it, stuck it out. You know, all these years. Um, you know, me. I, I had a long way to go to really become the man that she needed me to be, and the husband that she needs me to be. And uh, I feel like that we, you know, we've we've come a long way, and it's uh, it's been absolutely rewarding. And so I think those two things coupled together uh, changed me quite a bit, you know. And I, and I think, you know, of course, going and being a com becoming a dad and all that, all those things are life-altering. And, um, you know, Amy's still by my side and, and we're, you know, every day gets better. All the, all the cliches, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're real. And so uh, we have so much to look forward to. You know, and so that makes you excited and, and makes you want to be present and in the moment. Texas, you know, the Texas girls <laughs> are convincing, but I want to say, man, it, when I when I didn't know, you know, I thought I knew what I thought I knew what I might be getting when when me and Amy decided to get married, but the uh, what I what I gained from her family, from her, you know, her Texas roots was really uh, special, you know, and I love them and I love going to visit them and 
I love uh, it's like a second home. I feel like part of that family, and so I never anticipated how amazing that part of it would be. So, pretty. Uh, I love. I'm pretty proud of 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 my my Texas roots. I guess having won my first race there and all. A lot of great things have happened to me in that state. Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, during Miss, Mrs. Fanick's speech, I was very emotional, knowing how important that moment was for her. Um, it was difficult not to feel um, feel something, right? And uh, knowing everything that she's been through over the last couple of years, it was uh, it was pretty powerful to to listen to her words. And um, it's Reds was really entertaining. Um, don't know that I remember any really emotional uh, moments with him, but I, I was I was thinking when I was listening uh, to Mrs. Stefanik's speech, I was like, man, if I'm getting emotional now, I'm really going to have a hard time during my speech and listening to some of the words from from Rick and Mike when we were doing the fireside chat that was tough and uh and I thought well, I'm going to have to stand on stage and look out there and see some of these people that I'm going to talk about and I might break up trying to talk about them you know trying to share with them my emotions but it didn't happen I'm glad you know cuz I wanted to uh when you get choked up sometimes you lock up and sometimes you can't get going again uh and you in your point you kind of lose your momentum and your 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 what you're trying to convey gets lost but i need to go watch the speech again because i felt very uh monotone and robotic but uh i want to watch it again so <laughs> i can see how i did I, I as soon as i get done it's funny i want to go right to amy and say hey did i make any mistake it's like the first thing i want to do as soon as i'm done at the microphone is go hey did i say anything wrong because i don't even remember what came out of my mouth it's crazy. It's all a blur. Have you been thinking a lot about this night? This moment mm-hmm. leading up to it? You, I mean, and did, was it worth the wait? Yeah. I know. I was really thankful that the Hall of Fame decided to do this. They had all, ty- all, type, all types of alternatives that, you know, they could have done some something virtual. Uh, and uh, having the... Uh, you know, I guess having the patience to hold off future inductions, you know, there's people that are so looking forward to that opportunity to go on that stage and a lot and whoever that future class may be has had to also wait and be patient. And um so a lot of people had to really take some sacrifice and 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 uh wait this one out. So I'm very thankful that the Hall of Fame decided to do that to allow us all to have an authentic experience. Um, I was really worried about that because it was really important to me that the people that could be there in the room be there, be present. And uh, it was also awesome that we were able to hear some fans cheering and hear some enthusiasm from their side. As we mentioned them, you know, during the speech, it's awesome that they're in the room with you. So uh, that was all because of, you know, uh, their, the Hall of Fame's wisdom and patience uh, to to pause and and just you know wait this out and uh, give us the opportunity to have a great great time tonight. Steve.
Um, I know this sounds crazy, but uh, or not crazy, but really cliche. Um, it's every, all, all the whole the whole night is so full of cliches. Um, I, uh, you know, Dad was very good. Dad won a lot of races, won a lot of championships, and he got into the Hall of Fame. I'm sure because of other reasons, but mainly on the on the the back of all the stats and, and success, right? He had on the racetrack. When I was racing, as the years started to trickle by, I thought, man, I'm I'm not going to measure that success. A lot of people were wanting that for me, wishing that for me, wanting me to match him, in uh, in in every way, and it just wasn't going to happen. And um, I thought to myself, you know, well, what do I do? How do I how do I matter if I can't just go out there and dominate and and get a cool nickname like the Intimidator? How how can I matter? How can I be an asset or be important? How can I how can I um, how can a guy like Mike Helton be glad that I'm part of what's happening today or part of the sport? And so um, I tried really hard to 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 do that, you know, in every way, any way. I chose every available avenue. Uh, staying on the racetrack, uh, getting into ownership, getting into the broadcast booth, doing a podcast. Uh, and I do all those things uh, to please very many, a lot of people, but people like Mike, you know, people like Steve O'Donnell, people like Tony Sr., people like Steve Tart, Rick Henry. I mean, the list is long, but I just tried to matter. You know, and try to do something that they, you know, do something that felt like, man, the sport's better, or this is helping the sport. This is entertaining either our current fans, or this is making new fans, or this is bringing back old fans. Um, and so uh, that's all I've tried to do. So I think I've, I think that's something I'm most proud of is that um, if you ask a guy like Mike Hilton, he'll tell you that I mattered and he'll tell you that I was an asset and he'll tell you that I was helpful um, and that I continue to be helpful, you know. So um, I think that's the main motivation for me. And getting in that broadcast booth, if if I knew that those fans weren't happy with that, I wouldn't do it because I don't, I don't have to be there. But I want to be there because I think people enjoy it and I think it, I think it helps. So that's kind of my motivation. Yep. Any final questions for Dale? Okay, we are joined by our first Hall of Famer of the night, and that is Red Farmer. Uh, like I said, if you have a question for any of our panelists today, uh, please uh, make your way up to the front and uh, ask into the microphone. But I'll start, uh, Red, just top-line thoughts of, uh, of tonight's evening, and you were the star of the show with, uh, with a great speech. How is this evening for you? You like that speech? Uh, I had more time. I had a lot more to talk about, but they told me to cut it down to six minutes, and I said, I can't talk 75, 75 years of racing in six minutes. Uh, I, I loved it. Was, it, was, it. was tonight everything you hoped for? You mentioned how, how long you were waiting for this and, and how this was the pinnacle of your well, career. I still can't understand you. Was, that, was tonight everything you had hoped for and what you thought as you dreamed about tonight uh, and the pinnacle oh, of, yeah, of your career? Oh, you know, yeah. You, you don't never know when you what it's going to be like, you know, when you get something like this NASCAR Hall of Fame. It's, it was quite spectacular, you know, and, and I, I really was 
I had some stories. I had to miss some of them, and miss some of them that I wanted to talk about, but they cut me on my time limit. So, but it was still, you know, this is a NASCAR Hall of Fame. This is, I've been racing NASCAR for 70 years. I started at 53 in the beach course. So, at that time, it was my first NASCAR race, and I broke a right rear wheel and didn't do nothing in the race. I didn't know if I'd ever run a NASCAR race in my life. And here I am 70 years later in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Fantastic. Thank you, Red. If you have a question for Red, please raise your hand. Uh, and we'll, like I said, the, the microphone's up front. And we'll open the floor to questions for Red. We'll start with Alex. What, what were the stories that you wanted to tell and didn't get a chance that. to? Uh, Alex asks, are there any stories that you would like to tell now that you didn't have a chance to tell uh, on stage? I still can't. I'm still having trouble understanding you. I'm, I'm 90% deaf. I've been listening to these damn race cars for 75 years, <laughs> and my ears are bad, and I have trouble understanding a lot of it. So no. okay. let me get over here is next there, to you. Is, close to are, there, are there any questions, or any stories you'd like to tell now that you didn't have a chance to tell on stage? In 1956, when I was talking about when I won uh, my first modified championship in NASCAR, when I went to Daytona down there with Big Bill France at the Princess Athena Hotel in 56 to the awards banquet, Buck Baker was sitting to the right of me as a, as a cup champion. I was a modified champion, and the guy to the left of me was Ralph Earnhardt Jr.'s grandpa. But I didn't get to say that. I wanted to say that. But here I was down at the, my first championship and sitting there with Ralph Earnhardt and Buck Baker. Ties it all together. Any other questions for uh, – we'll go to Zach. And then yes. Gary. Uh, Red, you had mentioned that Talladega Short Track uh, open, season opener is March 27th. Um, what are your prospects for the season and what keeps you getting after it each year? Well, you mentioned the uh, Talladega Short Track. What are your prospects for the season, and what keeps you going? Well, we we ran. Uh, I built a new car during the winter down in Chris Bullenick's shop down there, and my two grandsons have got cars in it. We got six race cars in the shop, and uh, I sold uh, my Rocket and GRT car and used that money to buy a new black diamond chassis that they had been racing before. And I've kind of worked all winter since the last Talladega race in October to get that car ready for the ice bowl. Then I popped up and had to be in the hospital with twice with a heart surgery three weeks ago. And the car was all ready to go, and I wanted to run it something terrible, but I couldn't. So I, took a, a, I went up to the racetrack a week after I got out of the hospital, and we took the car up to Talladega Short Track. And I got a guy named Josh Atkins to drive it for me, a buddy of ours. And uh, there was 352 cars at the racetrack, 352 cars in the pits. And it was 54 cars in my class, which was a Crate 604, super late models. And Josh uh, got a pretty good qualifying time with the car, first time he'd been on the racetrack. And in the qualifying race, which they took the top four out of 12 cars, in the qualifying race, he finished second, which gave him a good starting spot in the main event, which is the 40-lap race. He started sixth in it, got up on the wheel, and he finished third. 
drove a hell of a race. So he finished third in the car that I was hoping I could drive. So that car is going to be ready to go on March the 17th at uh, Talladega Short Track. They're opening up with a race called the Bama Bash, the 17th, 18th, and 19th. And that gives me two months to try to recuperate from this heart surgery. And my prospects right now that I'm going to be there to run that car myself, and I know it's a good car. So I'm looking forward to racing in March at Talladega Short Track. And um, as far as my plans, I'm going to tell you, I got one plan. I'm going to wear out, not rust out. Red, uh, you had some one-liners in your speech earlier about racing and being in the Arctic Series was like uh, an electric chair with a drunk on the switch, things like that. Can you explain the differences through the years of racing through 75 years back then versus right now and, and what, you, what you do? What's the difference between then and now for racing for Red Farmer? Yes, uh, is there anything, what, can you explain the differences between racing when you first started to now and how the racing has progressed throughout your career? Money. <laughs> that is a big difference, money. What uh, what they spend for one car nowadays, I could race two or three years, years ago, with the same same equipment. It's just everything has got so far ridiculous out of price as far as, and this year it seems like it's doubled. So the fuel, the parts, and everything else, it just costs so much money nowadays to race compared to what it was years ago when we started. Of course, the money was different, too. Oh, we didn't have just have as much money as you got to have now. But uh, like I said, our cars that we raced back in the early 50s, I'd say, we had maybe five, $6,000 in the whole complete car. Now, if you have a super late model dirt car like we run at Talladega, uh, you could have sixty to seventy-five thousand dollars in that car. Uh, the, the prices, everything, just going ridiculous right now. I I had a I bought a new car here a couple of weeks ago, just a chassis, just a frame with the front suspension and a quick change in it, and it was eighteen eighteen thousand dollars just for a chassis, no motor, transmission, the drive shaft. No seed in it or anything. And, you know, 20 years ago, you could have bought that same car for 5000 So everything just keeps going up. On the t our tires right now have gone up. Last year, our, dirt, our tires cost $170 for a Hoosier tire for the race car. This year, they've gone to $215. They went up $45 on one tire. So now if you go to that short track and race and buy four tires, you spend $1,000 just to just put four tires and pay the tax on them. So it's just ridiculous. And uh, the fuel, the fuel, if you've got a super late model that's got 13 or 14 in one compression, you've got to get 114 octane fuel. It's 12 $14 a gallon. So everything has just gone ridiculous. I don't know how, how it the short tracks are going to continue running if the prices just keep going up because the purses don't go up that much. The price of racing goes up, but the purses don't. How do you keep doing it? What's your driving force to keep doing it? How long do you keep racing? 
I, I just love racing. I mean, I just love race, racing. I love to compete. When I go out there, I've got three of my grandsons that I race with every weekend that I get to race with, and that, that's a big enjoyment right there. But I just love to race. It's just like maybe maybe you like to go play golf on Saturday with your buddies or Saturdays go out there and play golf or something like that because you love golf. I, I love racing. It's in my blood. I've been doing it for 75 years. I started in 1948. And I still enjoy the competition, uh, the friendship, and, and everything along with the other people in the pits, get along with everybody. You know, it's just a kind of a family deal. My wife, Judy, sells my T-shirts and hats and stuff like that, you know, make a little pocket money to buy some tires with. And uh, it's, just, it's just kind of a family deal. I got one of my grands, my two of my grandsons parked right next to me in the pits. We all sit there like a family, more or less, and uh, just, just enjoy it. I, I still do. I look forward to it. I can't hope I'm in good enough health to be able to get there in March and, and get in that car. Dred, who's your favorite driver of all time? Huh? Who's your favorite driver of all time? <laughs> you talk about somebody that I've been racing for 75 years. There's so many good drivers that I've raced with. It's, un it's unbelievable. Um, in 1998, when NASCAR voted on the 50 greatest drivers in their 50, first 50 years of racing, and I was put on that list of the greatest 50 greatest drivers, I raced against 49 of them that was on that list. And they were all great drivers, and they wouldn't have been on it. But I've always said, uh, I've always said before that I thought A.J. Foyt was the greatest driver that was for simple reason A.J. could get in a wheelbarrow and win races with it. He won in everything he got into, NASCAR cars, Indy cars, uh, Le Mans cars, Indianapolis, anywhere he ran, sprint cars, uh, midgets, everything A.J. got in, he could win in on dirt, asphalt, road courses, or everything. I mean, there's a lot of great drivers, but they're great on a mile and a half. Some of them are great on super speedways. Some of them are great at Martinsville. But you get a driver that's good everywhere then you've got a driver. So I always thought A.J. Fort was my best driver, but then here comes Tony Stewart. Tony did the same thing. He won the championship in three different divisions, three different type of cars in one year. So he's won the championship in everything, but he can drive anything that's got a steering wheel on it and a gas pedal. So I put Tony Stewart and A.J. up there. Now you got this kid Kyle Larson to come along and look like he's in the same class. He can drive anything and win races with it, road course, dirt, super speedways, asphalt, mile and a half. So there's always good drivers coming along. So it's hard to pick them out, you know, when I've raced against Lee Petty and Buck Baker, Fireball Roberts, Curtis Turner, Joe Ledley, you know, and some of the great drivers back in the 50s and 60s, they was great drivers then. Then we had great drivers through the 60s and 70s. So that's kind of a hard decision, you know, it's a, uh, to pick one that's the best driver, uh, I think you got to pick a driver that can drive anything on any type of tracks. Red, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on this well-deserved honor, and I hope you have a great rest of the night. Thank you.